Welcome to APQC's podcast. My name is Alyssa Tucker, and I am the Human Capital Management Research Program Manager at APQC. On the podcast today, I have Talent Analytic Corp's uh, co-founder and CEO, Greta Roberts, with me throughout the podcast. I will be interviewing Greta on the topic of predictive workforce analytics. We'll discuss who should care about this topic and why. We'll talk about the different ways that organizations are using predictive workforce analytics today, and we'll get Greta's thoughts on new uses for predictive workforce analytics that are on the horizon. In fact, Greta will be speaking on this very topic, the future of predictive workforce analytics, during her keynote address at the Predictive Analytics World for Workforce Conference, which is being held in San Francisco from April 3rd through the 6th uh, in 2016. The conference is targeted at end users who want to learn how others are using predictive analytics to solve workforce challenges. So with that, I'd like to welcome Greta. Thank you. So happy to be here. Wonderful. Well, Greta, I'd like to, to get started and ask you, who should care about predictive workforce analytics and why? You know, is this really just an HR issue? Why, why not? Great. Um, yeah, predictive workforce analytics is by no means an HR issue. It's an entire business issue, and I think it's maybe one of the biggest mistakes that businesses are making where they make HR the single focus of applying predictive analytics to workforce issues. And we like calling it workforce issues, not HR issues, because every single line of business that has employees working in it needs to think about how to use these tools and these advancements to optimize the selection and output of their workforce. So every single organization, you know, line of business that has employees working there needs to think about that. Employees really don't work for HR, and that's why when I hear people say it's really an HR issue, except for the small subset of people that actually do work in HR, the rest of the people work for the line of business that they were hired into. So definitely not an HR issue. Wonderful. So it's not an HR issue. So what business problems uh, is predictive workforce analytics helping organizations solve today? And maybe um, you could talk about some of the different uh, business problems um, that are going to be covered um, in the sessions at the conference. Um, I know the conference has a number of speakers talking about um, different predictive workforce analytics solutions that are available today and in use today um, to solve uh, current business problems. So if you could share some of that with us, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Probably one of the biggest things when we talk to customers or businesses that are thinking about predictive analytics is, is they say, oh, I really want to learn how people are using predictive analytics in the workforce space. And what I love about this conference, Predictive Analytics World for Workforce, is the wide variety of amazing companies, you know, brands that you would recognize, who are very innovative and they're showing off their work in really a wide variety of use cases. I think the first thing that I want to say is that sometimes it's helpful um, when we, you know, when we think about predictions to realize that they happen in two different categories. One is predictions about trends, and an example would be, hey, you know, a company is able to predict that 20% of their skilled welders are going to retire in the next four years. That's predicting a trend. It's still about workforce, but it's predicting a trend. The other one is predicting about a, an individual. So, you know, being able to predict that this individual has a high probability of being a top sales performer. So I think one thing for people to think about 
and for Watch For It, predictive analytics world for workforce is, hey, you know, which categories do these fit into? And even as they, you know, look internally to think about different applications of predictive analytics, um, it might be helpful to think of that, uh, those two categories. Some of the specific use cases that will be um, at predictive analytics world for workforce, somebody will be describing, you know, predicting uh, high performer compensation, which I've got to believe every organization cares about. Predicting how communication among the different employees impacts happiness, individual performance, and organizational success. Again, you can imagine that everybody has, you know, would really love to understand that. Building a career advisor tool based on predictive analytics. Using predictive analytics to reduce unemployment insurance costs. Shifting the curve of sales performance with predictive analytics. Um, I love this one, matching retail store labor. So those are the people that actually, you know, work in the stores with customer traffic using predictive analytics. Balancing privacy with powerful employee flight risk predictions. And the last one I'll mention is using predictive analytics to reduce the costs around an hourly workforce. So I think that you'll see that almost all of them are ones that would apply to most um, organizations that they would care about these kinds of issues. So I think there's a total of something like 25 different presentations. This is just a sample. Excellent. Um, so at APQC, we get a lot of questions about whether or not there is a shortage of data scientist talent. So to address all the problems that you just talked about um, requires some, some you know, uh, data skill set. So I wanted to get your perspective um, on this issue. You know, is there a, a data scientist uh, talent shortage now or one looming and you know if if I'm an organization today that I know I'm going to rely on analytics talent to conduct workforce analytics predictive workforce analytics what should I be thinking about to make sure that I have um, the right things in place not to have a shortage great great we actually do experience a significant shortage but not of data scientists and so we might be going against the grain a little bit but we've never seen or never believed or never experienced a shortage of data scientists what we experience and what we see repeatedly is the shortage of managers or people that can come up with a great business problem that would be a great one for a data scientist to work on. So it's actually the step before the data scientist. Like I'll give you an example. We know one company, this is a real story, they hired 30 of the best data scientists they could possibly find and then told them, hey, go work on really important stuff and find great projects, you know, do your magic, whatever it is. And after a year, they looked at the data scientist's productivity and said, hey, there wasn't really anything to show for our investment. And they ended up firing all 30 of the great data scientists. It wasn't the data scientist's fault. This is really a true story. Business leaders are the ones that need to identify the projects for the data scientists to work on and then let them run with it. The data scientist is not, they are not the people that should be finding the projects themselves. I like using the same metaphor, like imagine hiring great um, IT people, technology staff, and saying, hey, go out and build us some great technology. Um, and then when they sit there because they're like, well, I don't want to build anything because I don't know what you need and I could spend all this money and I could create these infrastructures and software applications or whatever, but I need to know what you guys need. So they need to have the business leaders to find what they need first and then they build it. 
One other way we love to think about this is that, you know, people talk about supply and demand. So first there's the demand. We need something. You know, there's a real demand for something, and then you look for the supply. Demand always comes first. So you don't need a supply of data scientists until the managers create the demand for projects they've defined. So again, we definitely, in a very real way, see a shortage of defined projects, not the data scientists to do the work. Okay, so if there's a shortage of, of defined projects, um, what can a, a manager or a business leader do to prepare themselves, to educate themselves enough on the topic of predictive workforce analytics so that they can identify the right business questions, the right projects um, uh, to use so that predictive analytics can, can help them with their business challenges? How can, can a business leader or manager um, develop the skill set or understanding? Yeah, Great question. And again, I like to always break it down into two angles because I think a lot of times businesses or HR or anybody thinks, oh, you know, I've got to learn everything. I've got to learn how to define a problem. I've got to project manage it. I've got to do all the data science, science around it. So really there's two things that need to be prepared. And so if they're the business or the HR person, they need to learn what kinds of projects, like you said, would make a great workforce data science project. So. Some examples that I've put down that they need to really focus on is if the model is deployed, you know, is it going to save money or make money for the firm? That has to be the number one reason for doing a project. Again, imagine IT again. Um, they wouldn't do a project unless they would say it's going to make us more efficient and we can save money on this and that. Um, there has to be a business reason for doing that. It's very easy to think about will we save money or will we make money on this project? So like an example would be, you know, will this predictive model help us, you know, let's say select job candidates um, or allocate assets to help plan retirement for people or help create a succession plan or a pipeline where we can actually predict there's going to be a better outcome. Um, the other thing that I would say for that business leader is that they need to work on a project um, using as much data as possible that's already available. We've talked to a number of companies where they've said, yeah, you know, we could do this great predictive project, but we can't do it for eight months because we've got to, in the meantime, implement all this process where people start documenting all sorts of things so that we can begin gathering all kinds of data. What happens is you get this really negative feeling to even begin the project because people are like, oh, I've got to add all of this administration on top of what we're already doing. So use as much data as already is available as possible. And then be smart. If you, there are a little couple of pieces here or there where you need to augment it, just focus on those, but you can't make it tedious. Use the data that's available. The other thing is make sure there's enough data to find a credible predictive pattern. We have people that will come to us or that we talk to and say, yeah, we have 25 sales reps and we'd really like to understand, you know, what it is about them that, you know, makes them top performers. There's only 25 people um, and it would be much preferred to go into an area where it's just rich with all kinds of data. So you want to make sure you give your data scientists, you know, enough data to play with because predictions are all about patterns. The other thing that um, we see a lot of people do is, um, oh, I'm going to go for the most glamorous sort of project I can think about, like 
let's look at executives and let's sort of predict something around executives. But when you think about it, there's not that many executives even in even the largest organization. And, you know, what we would recommend is that they go for some of the less glamorous things like, you know, the areas where they have tons of call center representative or tons of sales reps or bank tellers or insurance agents or other areas where there's just so much rich, rich, rich data. So, you know, and saving just a little bit in those areas or making just a little bit more money in those areas because there's so many people is going to have just a huge ROI. So look for roles that are abundant. Um, I think the other thing that's really important is to have a willing business leader to work for you. If you are at work with you, if you're an HR person, you really need to engage the business and have them go, you know what, yes, I think this would be a great way for us to partner together to um, to work on this business problem. The other thing I would say is don't focus on an HR problem. I can't tell you the number of um, failed predictive assignments that we've seen where people said, hey, I'm HR, we were given this mandate to work on predictive problems, and we solved an HR problem. Sometimes, and it goes nowhere, A, because the rest of the business is like ho-hum, that doesn't matter to us, and the other thing is that uh, sometimes it can get into sticky issues um, and people don't want to learn something about, uh, you know, diversity, let's say, that's going on inside of HR today. They're like, wow, we found some things out we didn't want to know. Um, and I guess the last thing I would say is make sure that you, when you're predicting something, predict what we call the final measure. Like, I'm able to predict truck drivers with a greater probability of making, of having fewer accidents. That is amazing. People can immediately understand the ROI to the organization versus what we call a middle measure or a leading indicator like I can predict employees who will be highly engaged. Um, that's a middle measure and people rarely do the next step of saying, and if they're engaged, I can prove in our organization, not using somebody else's you know, uh, research, I can improve in our organization that we can save or we can make a certain amount of money. So those would be the things that I would uh, urge for the, um, for the business owner or for HR that is trying to uh, identify a project. If they're the data scientist, then there's a whole other list of things they need to know, like statistics, data mining, data preparation, data analysis, computer programming, and more. But realize, I think, for the folks that are on this call, you need to be the one not doing the data scientist work, but all about bringing, you know, being out there and being a scout looking for projects that might be, you know, excellent uh, predictive projects. Wonderful. So much great advice. I appreciate it, Greta. So we've talked a lot, you've talked a lot about different ways that um, organizations today are using or could be using predictive workforce analytics. Now, I know at the conference you will be delivering a keynote titled, When the Robots Arrive, the Changing Landscape of Predictive Workforce Analytics. So I'm wondering if you could share with us, you know, what predictive uh, workforce analytics advancements you see on the horizon, you know, what's coming that isn't here yet? So give us just a little bit of a teaser for, for what you'll be talking about at the conference. Absolutely. Here at Talent Analytics, we spend a lot of time looking and learning from other more advanced predictive domains to kind of learn what they've bumped into already um, and what is on, because when we see that they've done it and they're maybe two years ahead of us or a year and a half or whatever, we know what's coming for the workforce space. So. Um, 
the first one is actually already happening and it's beginning to happen and we see the momentum and it's to use predictions before you hire a person um, the last year or so has been about predicting current employee flight risk so lots of people excited about um, you know hey we have this workforce can I have a flight risk score for everybody well, we take that and we like thinking of how this particular thing would apply to, let's say, banks extending credit. Imagine if they waited until after they had extended a loan to predict if the borrower was going to default or not. It's silly, right? Imagine them, you know, a bank having a whole list of all the people that borrowed and go, oh, here are all the people that are probably going to default. Isn't it great that we know that? It's too late at that point. So it's the same when we predict after we've already hired an employee what their flight risk is. It's interesting to know, but it doesn't have a whole lot of value. So the first advancement is to move before you even hire them and be begin predicting flight risk and the probability of will they perform or not before you actually hire someone. This is the greatest ROI and it's a wonderful place to begin with predictions. And by the way, it's the same place that banks started, meaning they started looking at, oh, you know, of our existing customers, which ones are likely to default. Um, also on predictive customer analytics, you know, uh, there was a mad scramble in the beginning to say which of our current customers are going to leave. They called it churn, customer churn. But eventually we saw that they came to, hey, let's go ahead and predict it before we even engage with the customer. So it's exactly the same trend that we see happening in the workforce. The second trend that we see or things that are on the horizon is what we call predictive career pathing and predictive succession planning. So if you are going to be using predictions for your existing employees, this would be the perfect place to apply predictions. We're doing this with our customers today, so imagine being able to predict for many or all of your employees which would be the next best job for them, one that they'd love, one where they'd excel, and the lovely thing about predictive analytics is that it can show opportunities the employees or the employer would have never considered, because our brains as humans continue to think that an employee or even myself or whatever, we should move up the same ladder as where we were hired. But predictive models are broader than that, and they're less limited, and so all they care about is performance and success. So they don't care and they're not limited by you came in marketing, you're going to stay in marketing. They can help find a much broader pattern of success between perhaps, example, someone who's currently working in marketing and being uh, very successful and identifying that, wow, the same characteristics of the person working in marketing would set them up you know, predictively to being extremely successful for a next role in product development. I just love that it's lovely how predictive can broaden the opportunities for people. And then third, in terms of on the horizon, um, so this is a little further out, but there's a concept of predictive models becoming what we call pervasive. And pervasive means spread throughout and not special. Today, predictive models really are kind of special. If they are running in your organization, people are going to know where they are. They can point them out. Um, they have to interact with them. Um, as predictive modeling advances, we'll find that the models are not nearly as special and they're much more just a part of our business and something we expect. A good example is, I think, in our cars. For those of us, and I think probably many of us, have anti-lock brakes. And what these anti-lock brakes do is they pre prevent wheel lockup when your car is skidding. So they can actually predict, hey, what is this behavior? And based on this, I predict that I need to you know, keep your... Uh, um, your car from uh, wheel lockup. 
But how many of us have ever even thought, hey, there's a predictive model running here, or does your car really show you a chart that says, hey, driver, which of these options would you like me to do? You know, do you want me to keep you from skidding? Do you want me to do something else? No, it doesn't work like that, right? It's pervasive. The predictive models are pervasive, and they just work when you need them. So being pervasive is a natural evolution of the advancements that are happening. So we're really excited about that as well. Wow, lots of exciting uh, exciting advancements coming. I really find that idea of predictive career planning really um, interesting and really could change how organizations um, uh, work with their, their planning and their career path. So that's, that's fascinating. I wanted to ask you about another conference uh, session. One of the, the sessions is going to talk about how uh, the healthcare company F. Hoffman LaRoche reached uh, predictive workforce analytics maturity. So I'm wondering if you could talk about you know, what does the concept of predictive workforce analytics maturity mean to you and, and why do you think it's important for organizations? Yeah, thanks. Um, my answer may be a little unexpected, um, but to me the concept of predictive analytics maturity means doing something. Um, the maturity to do a predictive project versus the maturity to document your process or the maturity to, hey, figure out where you are on the, on the, mature, on the analytics maturity process. It's actually doing something. We see a lot of organizations that are learning to be, you know, that are just learning, which is cool, or being able to quote, hey, these are the different levels that are there, but that, is, that doesn't mean you're analytically mature. So realizing first that the predictive analytics um, maturity uh, level, it's a journey. You're never going to arrive. You're, it's something you're going to always aspire to, and you just continue to get better and better and better. It's a long-term goal and process. So the first step is really not waiting until you reach maturity. I think a lot of people say, I have to reach maturity, and when I finally arrived, then I'm going to be able to do predictive projects, and it doesn't work that way. Working with business managers in HR, you need to help them identify projects that are good predictive projects, right? And I know I'm sounding like a broken record here, but then actually beginning them. We see a lot of businesses that now know what is a good predictive project, and they spent all this time documenting it and you know, doing all kinds of work to investigate and learn, 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 and hiring consultants or whatever, and then they stall. They don't move forward after having spent a huge amount of time investigating, and in some cases, even hiring data scientists. And at the end of the day, really, who cares if you investigate it, write things down, put it in a pretty report, hire a data scientist, have a list, know where you are in the analytics maturity path if you don't act. So to me, acting is being the more predictively mature. Do something with the knowledge that you have. And that's what's special about F. Hoffman LaRoche in their journey. They did just that. They went on a journey. They did a lot of discovery. They learned a lot. And they did a predictive project, which is yielding for them. Is it going to be the same yield as maybe next year or 20 years from now when they're even more analytically mature? No. But they did something with the process. Great, thank you. So at APQC, we are currently conducting some research into how organizations can transition from making business decisions based on intuition to really having a, a, an organizational culture of making more data-driven uh, decisions. And I know you work with a lot of organizations that are, are in various stages of such a transition, so I wondered if you could talk about what you think are some of the, the key steps for an organization trying to move towards making more data-based um, decisions. 
Great. Yes. The first step, again, and I'll sound like a broken record, but don't feel a need to complete the analytics maturity model before you move into predictive work. Um, every single organization that we work with um, that is doing predictive work with us, um, they're doing it right away, even if their data isn't all in a big data warehouse or data lake, even if their data isn't perfect, even if we need to get data from them in eight or 12 different spreadsheets. Um, so, you know, the first step is just realizing, yes, the long-term goal is to move towards, you know, an even better, uh, tech, you know, um, a data model, but in the same, at the same time, concurrently with that, you can begin doing uh, predictive projects. The other thing I think to some of the first steps is kind of a mindset adjustment to be prepared to realize that a lot of the most important workforce data does not exist in HR. Um, HR contains a lot of great activity data, start and end dates, how much they're making, that sort of thing. But a lot of the most important workforce data exists in the line of business. And examples of that, if you are trying to predict um, um, who is likely to be a top sales performer, you need to use actual sales performance data. That doesn't exist in HR. That actually exists in the sales operations area, so that exists in sales. If you're looking to predict people, uh, bank tellers, let's say, that have uh, that don't make cash for errors, that data actually doesn't exist in HR either. It exists in retail banking. If you're looking to predict customer service reps that make a, a really large number or can take a large and process a large number of phone calls, that data exists in call center operations or predict people that have high customer service scores, that also exists in call center operations or predict truck drivers that don't make accidents, you know, looking at existing truck drivers and what the accidents are, that exists in trucking operations. So yes, there might be some data that exists in HR, but we really, again, if we're thinking of this as an HR problem, we're going to think of this as HR data. If we think of this as a workforce problem, we're going to think of workforce data. And so you need to realize that a lot of the most important workforce data does not exist in HR. Another thing is to first focus on positive and benign areas. Um, when we talk to customers sometimes, um, they'll say, um, you know, oh, you know we can't do that because, you know, we can find this one little area where it's not going to work and it pushes all kinds of privacy buttons and, oh, we can't go there. And we're like, okay, is there any other thing that you implement that is useful in every single application inside of your organization? No. So if you really want to move forward and get into the mindset of how can we use predictive, go into very positive and benign areas, things that don't push those privacy buttons or lots of concerns. Um, so go benign. It doesn't sound exciting, but you know, go into those areas that are going to have a large impact. Another thing that has to happen is people need to be prepared and get over an ego of I've been here 10 years or five years and I was always able to make those decisions with my intuition. So. Um, because what happens is, you know, of course a predictive model is just able to process many more factors and variables than my brain can do or any brain that we've seen. It's just what it's able to do really beautifully. And so if it comes back with a different result than maybe a senior leader or somebody else, you know, it's different than what um, people have been saying all along, we need to just go, you know what, I was doing the best that I could do inside of my brain and maybe a group of people coming together and making a decision, but this model just outpaces us and it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't mean we're bad or that we were wrong. We're just using something new here. So we need to get over our, our egos. The other thing that we've seen is that 
um, predictive models begin to um, identify what we call mystery factors. Um, you know, why, what is it about when I decide to hire, you know, you uh, versus somebody else? What went into that decision? We don't know. It's kind of a mystery factor. I can talk about it. I can say it was their education, their, you know, their reference checks or things like that. But there's a lot of other mystery factors behind the scenes that I don't even know. So what happens is predictive models begin to identify these mystery factors and make us accountable. And that sometimes from a culture or from moving into predictive analytics can be something that people, you know, that real accountability of everything being written down and documented automatically is kind of a new thing, um, you know, a new, a new thing that they weren't prepared for. Um, and I guess the last thing is that just get prepared for um, predictive analytics is a process of discovery versus, hey, let's do a predictive project, we're going to hire a data scientist or a consultant, we'll have an outcome, and then we implement it. Sometimes those outcomes come back, and they would always go back to the business leader and say, hey, we found this data, what does it mean? And then they go back, and the data scientist crunches more numbers, more models, comes back and says, what does this mean? And so it's a process of discovery. Um, so you don't want to say the first time, no, no, that's wrong. Okay, you know, let's just stop the project right here. It's a process for discovery. It gets better and better and better. So be prepared to be part of that conversation. Realize how valuable that HR person or the business leader is in giving information into the data scientist. Excellent. Thank you. Well, to, to close things out today, I wanted to ask you, we, we talked a lot about the predictive analytics uh, world for workforce uh, conference, and I wanted to ask you what you are looking forward to uh, learning about at the conference. Yeah, thank you. I'm looking, I think like everyone else coming to the conference, um, I'm particularly look to learn about more ways people are using predictive to solve workforce challenges. Now is the time, it's just in, you know, such momentum, and all of us are wanting to learn how other people have been creative in applying these tools. You know, what else are people using it for? Um, I'm particularly interested in one presentation there where they're going to uh, be able to predict the retirement of workers and the impact um, that that is going to have. Um, Predictions in the retirement area right now are really hot. There's a lot of people retiring and, you know, how can you predict that and what is the impact going to be on the people and also uh, on the organization. So that's something I'm really interested in. There's also um, two pre presentations on what the workforce domain can learn from predictive domains like the customer predictive uh, domain or the risk predictive domain. And I always love and am very excited to learn from other domains that are more advanced and we all need to do this, is, you know, to learn from other people that have gone before us. Um, we can avoid their mistakes, and it really helps with increasing the momentum for us and moving along more rapidly. So I just continue, continue to be really excited about a predictive conference where data scientists who are working on workforce issues can gather together and share their best ideas, and I just really can't wait. Wonderful. Well, that concludes our, our podcast. Uh, Greta, thank you so much uh, for joining and for sharing so much uh, useful information with us. Uh, if anyone listening has questions, you can reach me uh, by email at etucker at apqc.org. That's E-T-U-C-K-E-R at apqc.org. And if you have a question for Greta, I'd be happy to, to help facilitate getting that answered. And as we spoke about on the, the podcast, Greta will be a keynote speaker at the Predictive Analytics World for Workforce Conference, which is coming up April 3rd through the 6th in 2016 in San Francisco.
any analytics curious human capital line of business and analytics leader is welcome to attend. And APQC members receive a 15% discount off the current registration rate. So be sure to register today using the discount code APQC15. Thank you everyone for listening and have a great day.